much. Well, thank you. And uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I hope you're all really well. Thank you so much for the warm welcome um, already. Um, as Esther said, I'm also Esther, um, and I uh, work for the International Justice Mission, um, IJM for short. Um, just quick show of hands. Um, who's heard of IJM before today? Yeah, a few of you. Brilliant. Happy days. So um, IJM, in a nutshell, is the world's largest anti-slavery organisation. So we work on the ground, in the trenches, finding and rescuing children and families from cases of Monday slavery um, and human trafficking. Um, and then we work to stop the perpetrators as well. And, uh, and last year, we rescued 4,616 people from slavery. Thanks. Praise Jesus. Um, now, to start off with, um, I'm going to hit you with some stats. And if you're anything like me, uh, numbers make me want to turn off. Um, I'm more of a words person. Um, and we get kind of bombarded by stats about poverty and suffering every single day, don't we? You only have to turn on the news or open the newspaper and it all gets a bit much. We change channel, we tune out. But stay with me here, because it is important that you know. By the time I've finished speaking... Around 60 more children will have been sold into slavery. And they're sold into brothels and bars and sweatshops. But we know that children don't belong in brothels and bars and sweatshops, right? They belong in families and playgrounds and schools. 60 children. The reality is two children are sold somewhere every minute. Every minute of every hour of every day. But God knows their name, doesn't he? Let me introduce you uh, to one of them. So this is Joy. Uh, You'll see her in a second. I I can't show you a picture of her face. But she is um, just this beautiful young girl. She's got like bright eyes, really bright eyes. And um, and she's sharply intelligent. She's got a a wicked sense of humour. And she uh, grew up in the Philippines. And like many of the people that we work with, um, she grew up in poverty. And when she was uh, about 10 years old, she was trafficked. She was sold uh, for sex by her aunt. And she was abused by people who were both physically present, as well as those who would pay to watch online, live-streamed around the world, including here in the UK. And Joy's case was actually one of the first that we'd ever come across of this kind of online exploitation, like modern-day slavery in the most modern form you can imagine. And Joy described her life as a teenager as being like a dog. In, uh, in 2013, uh, we worked with a national crime agency here in the UK to use the online data to pinpoint the exact location where she was being held. And we were able to invade uh, the home where she was and rescue her. Um, and what we discovered 
was that her aunt was actually abusing dozens and dozens and dozens of children in the neighbourhood at the time. But that was the start of a new life for Joy. And we've helped her walk into freedom uh, once more. And, um, and fast forward on uh, five years. And, uh, and this summer, the August just gone, uh, Joy came with me to a conference. Um, and she came with me um, to, to New Wine, if any of you have ever been there. It's a large conference, not far from here, last year. And, um, and she shared about her life, not as a victim, but as a survivor about how she'd won a scholarship to university, about she was training as a social worker because she felt a calling and a passion to walk through with other girls that had been in her situation. She talked about how God had answered her prayers and how he is doing something completely new in her life. And as she stood, this this tiny girl in this massive space, on the main stage of this giant space... She shared like the most vulnerable story that I think I've ever heard someone share in public. And and I tell you what, she should have been shaking like a leaf. She should have been absolutely terrified. But I tell you, she blew the room away. And as I was listening to her, I was reminded of the story of when God sets the children, uh, the children of Israel free from Egypt, when he calls them out of slavery. And if you remember it, God tells the Israelites to leave Egypt. And he tells them they're going to leave, but they will carry the wealth of the Egyptians with them. He promises them that they're not going to leave empty-handed. And as I listened to Joy speak, I thought, you have not left this empty-handed. Because the Holy Spirit has been at work in you to rebuild you, to reconnect you with your heart, to reconnect you with your identity and your faith and your calling and your passion. And you know what? I wouldn't have... There is no pit that is too deep that the Holy that no one is too broken, that there is no pit that is too deep that the Holy Spirit cannot reach down and bring life and bring healing and bring transformation and bring justice. It's what the God of justice does. Now, I love this series that you guys are in the middle of. Um, These three words, your kingdom come. And I also love the bigness of these words. You know, if you read on, uh, it's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And I love it that it's not just your kingdom come in, in my life, though, though that is true, but your kingdom come across the whole earth, across our whole nation, across the nations. It's like, a, like Paul writes it in Romans 11. Uh, he writes, for from him and through him and to him are all things. In other words, it all belongs to him. Everyone, everything, everywhere. It all belongs to him. It is all subject to his kingdom. 
And right at the heart of that statement, your kingdom come, that we find nestled in the Lord's Prayer, is this idea that the kingdom is not just limited to ourselves. But rather the emphasis that Jesus sets up from day one is about our intimate relationship with our Father overflowing and overspilling into the world, into an outward transformation. And the emphasis that our faith is not just personal, not just to keep in a box locked away to a Sunday, but but that an encounter with Jesus will propel us outward. So today we're going to look at that outward overflow, that outward call, your kingdom come on the earth as in heaven. And we're going to look at that through the invitation that Jesus offers us to live a life of justice. Does that sound all right? Cool. Now, if you have a Bible with you, um, I would love it if you could join me in um, Isaiah uh, 42, which uh, is on page 729 of my Bible. And then before we dig in, and and as you find it, um, it's a little bit of context that's helpful to know before we dig into this passage. So uh, the book of Isaiah, it's a cracking book, well worth a read, um, is written by the prophet Isaiah. And it can kind of be divided into two halves. So you have the first half, uh, which deals with, with God's people in turmoil, all right? And, and they've had kind of this big threat from outside forces. And the political situation is a nightmare. Everyone's kind of confused as what's going on. And, and, and basically, God speaks directly into this and says, wake up. Wake up to what you're doing and who you're neglecting. And then, fast forward, the second half of the book, which is pretty much from chapter 40 onwards, it zooms forward to this image of the people trying to rebuild their lives. And it's much more about the hope of God's kingdom, the comfort that God wants to bring, the vision of the kingdom where people dwell together in peace and goodness and unity, where Jesus comes and all things are made new. So when you find Isaiah 42, it's just kind of after this pivot point in the book, where God has interrupted his people who are disillusioned and discouraged and and, and finding themselves just just lost in the politics of the time and encourages them to stop and to listen and to lift their gaze. And God, through Isaiah, introduces Jesus. He says this, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Kind of strange language there, but but the picture that's being painted is not one of an aggressive conquering tyrant, you know, coming to bring terror and punishment but a a kind of gentle but strong leader, a spirit-filled servant. That's our Jesus. And he continues, In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice 
on the earth. In his teaching, the nations will put their hope. So the picture that we're given here, this beautiful prophetic picture, is of God's servant, Jesus, bringing justice. But what does that actually mean? In fact, you know what, we're going to do something wild here. If you could put the definition of justice in a tweet, or a single sentence to be slightly less millennial, all right, what would you say? In fact, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes just for the people around you. If you could define the word justice, what would you say? And if chatting to the people around you fills you with terror, you could kind of like adopt the holy prayer position and people know not to talk to you, all right? So, so one minute, in fact, what does justice mean? Off you go, have a chat. Okay, I won't leave you for too long. Um, throw me out some ideas. We've got some thoughts. What springs to mind when you hear the word justice? What does justice mean? Love conquers all. Love it. That's a great answer. What else? Freedom to prosper without fear. That's a cracking definition. Great. Right thing in the right place. Brilliant. Victory, fantastic. You guys are all much, much more holy than me. Um, did anybody have anything just out of interest uh, to do with fairness? So, yeah, yeah, no room for unfairness. I'm getting a few nods. Um, if I'm honest, um, when I was growing up, for me, justice was all about fairness. And um, you see, I'm the youngest of, uh, of three siblings, and so the idea of justice um, and fairness was something I felt very passionate about uh, growing up. Um, you know, I was always highly aware of the way I was treated in relation to my siblings. So whether it is, uh, you know, the time when for like the fifth year in a row you get landed with the hand-me-down school uniform. And that like just is not just, it's just not fair. Or, uh, or uh, what was on my plate at dinner time uh, that just didn't seem fair. Or... Um, or well, the ultimate test of justice in my life was, uh, was learning to drive and who gets to use mum's car. And, and, and I, like, like many of us, I'm sure, have always had this innate sense of, of wanting to know, are things fair? And, and really, that was my experience of, of justice growing up. Are things fair for me personally? Very much about what I'm experiencing, me personally. But, but biblical justice, the justice that we find in the Bible, is a little bit different from are things fair just for us? Now, biblical justice is this giant encompassing term. And some of you have, have hit the, the nail right on the head already. It's this, this overarching term about restoration and it's about restoring people with God people with people and people with the world does that make sense people with God people with people people and the world it's about restoring things to how they were meant to be in the first place 
And you could simplify that even further to say that bringing justice is all about making wrong things right. People with God, people with people, people and the world. So when you see things that are wrong in the world, uh, whether that is hunger or or poverty or slavery or or climate change or or loneliness or, you know, the list goes on or or war or refugees or we need the, the justice of God to come in and make wrong things right. Make sense? And time and time again, we see throughout the Bible God placing this front and centre, he introduces himself over and over again as the God of justice. He makes it absolutely explicit that what is good is to seek justice, walk humbly, love mercy, Micah 6, 8. In fact, justice and righteousness, God names as the foundations of his throne. This is who he is. The God of justice. He makes wrong things right. And, and every single page, pretty much, of the Bible it is saturated with this call to make wrong things right, to seek justice. In the Old Testament, justice is the second most talked about theme after idolatry. In the New Testament, one in every 16 verses is about justice. In the first three Gospels, or the three synoptic Gospels, it's one in every 10 In the Gospel of Luke, it's one in every seven. Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that scare me. It's the part that I do. And Jesus himself, when he stood up and made his inaugural speech in Luke 4, when he says, look, if you want to understand me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be like me, this is what I've come to do. He says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And you know what, if this is what Jesus came to do, then if we are followers of Jesus, if we are being transformed into his likeness, if we are following the model and the life of Jesus, then we too have to have the same mandate. We have to care about the poor. We need to care about seeing the prisoners released. To care about seeing the brokenhearted made whole. This is what Jesus put front and centre, to make wrong things right, to seek justice. So in Isaiah 42, we start with that beautiful, prophetic, comforting picture of Jesus. Because he's faithful, he will bring forth justice. And he'll keep going until he'll establish justice on the earth. That's what Jesus came to do, right? To make wrong things right, he is on it. Brilliant. But as we read on, you'll see something changes. See if you can spot it. We'll pick up from verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. 
and will make you a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon all who sit in darkness. Do you notice a similarity here to what Jesus speaks in Luke 4? But also, do you notice the subtle shift in who he's speaking to? So he's gone from speaking about he, in that first section we read, to speaking about you, in this second half. In other words, he goes from talking about what Jesus is doing, to what we are called to do. Justice just got personal. It's a bit like in um, Exodus 3, where where God commissions Moses to go and set the captives free, and he says, you know, we're going to lead the people out, and Moses is like celebrating, like, God, you're going to do it, and then God says, so now go. And Moses thinks, oh no, it's him. Or it's a bit like in Matthew 5, where Jesus says to his disciples, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He doesn't say, you could be the light of the world. Or on a good day, you're slightly bright. No, he says to us, you are it. Amazing. We, the people of God, are his hands and feet in the world. We are to work with Jesus to make wrong things right. I guess the question is, how? I, um, I started off by sharing some kind of shocking stats about people in slavery. And I'd love uh, for a moment to zoom right out again and to share with you a little bit about what we're seeing the Spirit of God doing around the world before we zoom in back to Bristol again. And I wanted to encourage you that the Spirit of God is on the move in making wrong things right and bringing kingdom justice around the world. And if I may for a moment, I'd love to take you back uh, to the early 2000s and to the country of Cambodia where IJM started working there. And when we first turned up there, Cambodia as a nation was pretty much known as the global epicentre for child sex trafficking, and particularly that of really young children. And what would happen is that foreign tourists, foreign sex tourists from around the world would flock there. And you could literally go to market tables just outside the capital of Phnom Penh where there'd be children on trestle tables and chained to posts where you could choose which one to rent. And it was estimated, and this is an estimate because by the nature of this stuff it's hard to count, it was estimated by the police and the UN that 15 to 30% of the entire sex industry across the country were children. 15 to 30% of hundreds of thousands of people. And the police were completely overwhelmed at the time. Partly because there was a huge amount of money involved and the depth of the levels of corruption 
And, and, and partly because so many children were from the, the wrong ethnic group and, and people just simply didn't care. And it, partly because the problem was just so big and the system was so broken and they didn't have the, the resources um, to do anything. The system didn't know how to care for vulnerable, abused, scared children. The system was just too broken. And so what would happen is the traffickers would get away with it. They didn't even hide what they were doing. Uh, this is Mien. She was 14 years old when she was sold. But we started praying. And Christians around the world let this get personal. And we got desperate to see something different happen. For wrong things to be made right. For kingdom justice to invade. And if we fast forward, uh, this is what happened over a period of about seven or so years. So we as IJM, we started doing undercover investigation work. We uh, worked to build up evidence. We worked to investigate where children were being held and then taken to. And then we started working with the police. What we started doing with the police was identifying who were the people that wanted to do the right thing. Who were the people that were horrified at what was going on, who wanted to do the right thing. And there were always people that want to do the right thing. And we started asking them, how can we help you? How can we bless you? How can we support you? And they talked about needing help to, to train prosecutors, to gather evidence. They talked about needing help to get cases through court. They talked about needing uh, help to train other people, other officials, and how to care for and deal with vulnerable children. And so we began working with them and rescuing children with them and taking case by case through court. And eventually we began to see some of these traffickers being prosecuted which sends a really powerful message out to other people, that God is on the side of the oppressed. And when we began, the, the cynics said that it was impossible. The cynics said you could never rescue a Khmer child from a brothel because no one cared. Because the system was too corrupt. It was too broken, it couldn't be done. But as we began taking case by case through the system, we began to train more and more police officers who became confident in doing the right thing. We began uh, working with more and more court officials and magistrates. We began to rescue more and more children. And eventually we began to restrain more and more slave traders. I said 15 to 30% of sex workers were children when we started. Today, uh, the UN estimates that number is now less than 0.1%. And the police unit that we've worked with have won awards around the world for their work. They actually were in the UK about three or four weeks ago training our police force on how best to handle cases of human trafficking. And it has been so successful in this space, we no longer work in Cambodia on this work. We are now shifting our gaze to look at trafficking uh, in the Gulf of Thailand in the seafood industry. 
And that's our aim, really. To do ourselves out of a job. To help repair the broken system to such an extent that kingdom justice has broken in, wrong things are made right, and we don't need to be there anymore. We have seen that it's possible to right this wrong of slavery when we help the system protect the poor and the vulnerable. And when we follow Jesus' lead, we know what to do. To free captives, to bring justice, to make wrong things right. And in the last 10 years, as a movement, we've rescued over 50,000 people. But what is more exciting is that we're seeing the statistics of whole nations begin to shift. Your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. But what about us? How can we seek justice in Bristol here in 2019? Now, I am really aware that not all of us are lawyers or social workers and are free to up and move their lives to Thailand or Cambodia or India or across the world. Um, Though if that is you, then please let me know. I would love to have a chat. Um, Though some of you, yeah, some of you might feel that nudge. And I'm, I'm also really aware that there will be loads of justice issues in the room that you already feel passionate about and you already feel, uh, feel called to. And, um, and my prayer for you is that you would feel really encouraged, that you will feel like the pleasure of God, the thumbs up from the Lord to keep going and keep doing what you're doing. And my prayer for all of us, really, is that we wouldn't be satisfied with the status quo but that we would become so intent on seeing wrong things made right that we can't help but let this stuff get personal. You know, for some of us, knowing where to start is probably the most difficult thing. You know, when there's so much need here in this area, let alone the city, let alone the country. And I wonder, I know there are some incredible justice projects that you as a church are connected with already. I wonder whether you can join in, whether an afternoon, a month might be the first place to start. For others, this thought of seeking justice might be totally overwhelming, and I get that. I've been there, I frequently am in that place. And um, I was recently challenged by a question, which was, you say you love the poor, tell me their names. And I wonder whether just one place that you could start in letting this justice stuff get personal is, is getting to know somebody who perhaps is slightly on the outside. Perhaps someone down your street who you know is lonely. You know, I love what, uh, what Mother Teresa once said. She said, if you can't feed 100 people, then just feed one. You know, maybe there is somebody on your street who you can befriend. You can learn their name. You can ask how they're doing. Maybe there's someone at the school gate who you are aware is always left on the outside. Maybe it's even so much as who you sit next to at church. You know, getting to know people who may be slightly on the outside. Getting to know their names. Learning to love them. Drawing them from the edges of community into the centre. I was reading recently a little bit about uh, John Wimber, who um, is a guy that kind of planted the vineyard movement 
uh, in the States, and he has had a, a huge impact, I guess, or the Vineyard Church had a huge impact on, on faith um, across the world. And um, he, as he started to explore this justice call, would tell of how every day he would pack two bags of groceries and put them in his car. And then he'd pray during the day who he should give those to. And he said, without fail, God always highlighted people. People always came across his path during the day for whom he could give those groceries to and who he could then pray to and talk to and learn their stories and invite them into community. Now, was that going to eradicate poverty? Probably not. But he did something to start to seek justice. And in the fair trade movement of our church started, of our country, sorry, started once the people in the church started to get restless about the products they were buying and whether they were being sourced justly. You know, we're seeing that at the moment, the plastic free movement, that when people join together and raise their voice, it is possible to shift the conversation. We're starting the very beginnings to see that with, with slavery in who makes our clothes and things like that with a slave-free movement. And perhaps that is a way that you can begin to explore how you seek justice. I'd encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you make this personal. And just start where your two feet are at, the street on which you live. That is good enough. As I come into lands. I also do know that some of you in the room will also be getting that heart beating faster thing when I'm talking about uh, slavery and, and human trafficking. Um, and if that is you, and that is something that you're feeling like, oh my word, this issue is something I've never heard about before, or I know about, and I know that I want to do something. Um, can I suggest three really practical ways that you could be involved in that specific fight for justice? Um, and the first one is um, to share, to take this message that I've shared with you today and, and share it on. There's something really powerful about when the people of God share good news stories. Um, sometimes we're so often known for what we're against as Christians rather than what we're for, if that makes sense. Being for justice and for freedom and for wrong things made right. And um, I encourage you to just share this message. Um, if you like IJM UK on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, you'll get a story upon story of God breaking through that you can then share. So number one, I'd encourage you to share. And uh, number two, if you're feeling prompted to get involved and you want to help send rescue to people uh, in the world that need it, um, I'd love to invite you to give towards this work. Um, I could be really British about it, but this is a bit too important. So if that is you and you are feeling prompted, um, everybody that is being rescued needs somebody to rescue them. And um, you can do that using uh, this form here that I've put on your chairs and um, that has the child on the front. You can probably see them around. I've scattered them. Um, and you'll see there's two parts on the back. Um, the bottom one, um, you can sign up to give whatever amount you want um, on a more regular basis. And if I'm honest, the thing that we pray for is consistency. Um, not really an amount, because consistency means um, we can plan. means we can say to that girl, we're coming back, and we can back it up. Does that make sense? So if that's you, that's the bottom half of that. Um, so sharing, sending rescue, and that leads me on to the third thing, and that is prayer. 
And um, if I'm honest, this is the thing we, we kind of covet the most. Um, the whole justice thing is fueled on and founded by a relationship with God. It's fueled by prayer. And um, our connection with Heavenly Father is, is what brings transformation into the world's most dark and dangerous places. And um, you're going to be looking, some of you, at that tonight in the cathedral for thy kingdom come. But prayer is the most powerful tool that we have for lifting our gaze and for seeking justice. It reminds us who God is. And um, I'd love to invite you to, to join us in prayer. And you can actually use that same form, the middle part of it, to sign up to pray. And what you'll get then is, uh, is updates of live kind of rescues, real time, when people are going in, what the needs are, and when you can pray. And um, I'd really encourage you to, to ask God if that's something that you can be part of. Um, and you can sign up on the website for that too. You know, that passage in Isaiah was written to a people who were busy and distracted and were in a context of political confusion and pressured times. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? But the invitation then is the same invitation as now. It is an invitation to stop, to listen, to tune in to the whisper of God and then be propelled outwards. You know, saying yes to Jesus means that we're invited to be part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. We're invited to be the story of making wrong things right. And as you pray, your kingdom come. We pray that justice would come on the earth. After all, from him and for him and to him are all things. And it all belongs to him, doesn't it? Everything, everyone, everywhere. Shall we pray? Let's just take a moment to, uh, yeah, in the silence, just to be still and reflect on what's been heard. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place. Help us to be more aware of your presence. Jesus, we thank you for your invitation to seek justice. And Lord, as we wait on you, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would ignite that passion to see the things of your kingdom break through. Help us to make this personal, God.
Yeah, we're going to um, worship together as we, yeah, just just want to encourage us to keep thinking on this stuff. It's it's not easy. It's not an easy one, is it? I'm just like really struck by in that bit in Isaiah where God says, I have called you. And it's not, oh, just you there and you there. It's it's you. Like this is this is us. There's uh, no exception. So if you're at a point right now where you're up for hearing that and it's like asking God, yeah, but but what? What do you want me to do? Um, just really encourage you to ask God that question because I'm 99.9% sure that he's going he's gonna to answer that. But, yeah, recognize that takes a bit of bravery to ask that. Um, so if... Um, yeah, you want someone to um, chat with, uh, to pray this stuff through. There'll be um, people um, around at the back, um, Esther will be there. Um, if you want to have a, a chat and a pray with her and other people as well, just, um, yeah, encourage you to do that. We're going to um, worship together um, as we close. Yeah, Father, I pray, yeah, that we will hear you say, directly and personally to each one of us here i have called you and yeah like esther said that we will be prepared to make this personal yeah will you will you soften our hearts will you break our hearts for the stuff that breaks yours yeah will you give us the courage to not just hear your call but respond yeah thank you jesus